0: Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the School of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And today we have on a very special guest, My good friend, Robbie Kramer, who I've known for many years, uh, he is a dating coach, the founder, CEO of Inner Confidence. And I wanted to bring him on. Buffett, both Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are always talking about the importance of relationships. Uh, Warren Buffett in particular is always saying how the person you marry is going to be one of the most important decisions you ever make in your life. Warren Buffett happens to know a thing or two about finance and investing, so if Buffett says something, it's probably worth listening to. And we, we've all seen people who have uh, married, say, the wrong person and how it can screw up somebody's life or dating the wrong person or even associating with the wrong person and the harm that can do to someone or the way it can benefit someone tremendously. So I wanted to actually quantify some of that because I think everyone knows, right? It's good to marry the right person. It's good to marry someone who's going to benefit your life. There's a lot of those platitudes that go around But not everyone knows inherently how to put that into practice or they're blindsided in certain ways. Without further ado, Robbie, welcome to the show. And would love to help quantify some of this on the show today.
1: Thanks, Eric. Yeah, great to be here. And it's a topic I am very excited to speak about considering I recently got married, but I'm 40. So I waited a long time to do so because I really wanted to make sure I was investing in the right woman. And I had many opportunities prior to that to get married, but it just didn't quite feel right. And looking back, I'm really glad that I I listened to my gut and didn't pull the trigger because like most of my friends and many of my friends. Clients who have come to work with me after their divorces, they've explained to me, and I've seen firsthand just the damage that does to your financial house and all the repercussions—not just financially, but emotionally—that that go along with that. And so, yeah. you know,
0: I'd imagine you've probably seen other mistakes other men and or women have made just because of your line of work and working with some pretty affluent clients. Always that a stereotypical person in society—they've made many millions of dollars, very successful in their career, but somehow they seem to be very stunted in their romantic relationships. I can tell you in the investment world without mentioning any names, you can see that quite a bit. So I would imagine you've probably seen that in your personal life with maybe former clients that you worked with in, in ways you've helped them. Yeah. And especially since
1: the clients I tend to attract are guys who have done very well in their career, which is of course led to doing a great job with their wealth and their finance. And these are guys who are good with women, but they want to be great. They're great in their career. And I tend to work with executives, guys in finance, lawyers, doctors, these types of guys who've really done well. But that career success doesn't always translate into love life success. In fact, it usually doesn't because it's a pretty radically different skill. So especially with those guys, when you're dealing with a divorce, you're looking at seven figures most of the time, houses and lots of assets to split up. And of course, the more messy that is even a breakup, like I've gone through breakups that felt like divorces because that emotional bond was still there. And even though there wasn't the government involved in (laughs) dividing those things up, there was still we had properties together, investments, real estate, that sort of thing. So yeah, it can get very messy. And choosing the wrong person is just such a huge mistake, even considering even marriage or not, depending on where you live can also be a question.
0: So before we get too into the weeds, there's a lot that I want to break down with you today. I'd love to hear just a little bit about your background and how you even got into this whole world. Sure. So this was back in like 2006. I was graduating
1: from UCSD. I was a ranked amateur golfer in college, NCAA All-American, but I wasn't quite good enough to make it on the PGA Tour. So gave that dream up, got a job working in finance for a boutique private equity firm, And I quickly noticed that my, just how I met women, my whole sort of dating life fell apart. Prior to that, I met girls through my classes and through friends and that sort of thing. I didn't really think about it. Once I got into the nine to five world, I was like, crap, how do you meet women? How do you, I had never really been on a date. I didn't know how to navigate those things at all because it was always, like I said, just through my social circle. So... I studied everything I could find online, went to a bunch of different seminars and workshops. I'm like a guy who would rather learn from a mentor than trying to figure it all out myself. So I immersed myself into the material that was out there at the time. A lot of it was really canned stuff. There was a lot of guys touting themselves as pickup artists, and I didn't really resonate with that message. But after many years of scrounging around, and I was basically, like I said, I was working in finance, but part time i was taking workshops doing this personal growth stuff and then in 2008 when the market collapsed i lost my job in finance and i became a full time dating coach and then what really changed the game for me was about five or six, i think around maybe 2014 i feel like i really hit a plateau i hit a wall with women and uh, an interesting story happened i was actually traveling with some friends and we were in in europe we we're looking at investment properties short-term vacation rentals in France and Milan. And one of my friends was a club promoter and he knew all these girls out in Europe. So he'd invited these girls along on the trip. So we were basically going from city to city, looking at properties and partying with these girls. And all the other guys hooked up on the trip. And I was basically stuck cuddling with one girl for about two weeks straight. And we'd spend every night together. She'd sleep in my bed, but Anytime I tried to make a move, she wouldn't friend zone me, but she wouldn't reciprocate that intimacy either. She wouldn't kiss me, nothing. And this girl in my mind, she was like, perfect. Everything I wanted in a girl. So fast forward a few months later, we fly, I fly back to LA and I asked her if she wanted to come to LA. She wanted to be an actress anyway. So she came to LA for, the plan was to come for a few months and I figured, all right, now things will definitely escalate and we can become boyfriend, girlfriend and everything's going to be great. (laughs) Shows up, same sort of stuff, cuddling. And then about two weeks later, my friend, who was like a notorious cock block and just like one of these guys who always stole girls, he asked me if I want to go to a bar and if I wanted to bring this girl along and he was going to bring a date. And usually I'd say no, but he said he was bringing a date. So I said, yes. Sure enough, we go to the bar. I go to the bathroom. When I come back from the bathroom, he's making out with his girl and my girl. And... (laughs) About 10 minutes later, they all left the bar, went home, had a threesome, and I was just like completely crushed. I was like, what the hell just happened? And, friend as well. Yeah. I should have listened to my better judgment because he had done things similar to this before, but this was like ridiculous. At first I was angry. I was pissed. I was angry with him. But then it really made me like look in the mirror and say, all right, what am I doing that's different? from these other guys, because there were there was all the dating coaches, which were I was getting just as good of results, if not better than them, I was a professional dating coach at the time. But then there were these guys who were just on another level completely. They had women chasing them, they weren't operating from that, like putting a woman on a pedestal mindset. So I really just took a scientific approach to everything I was doing at that point. And I realized why I was failing with these sort of top tier women and did a bunch of hard work over the series the next few years to fix. I basically what I did was I made a deal with some of these guys. I was living in New York City and these guys were running, they're called model houses. And this is an interesting story. So a model house is, first of all, they're nightclub promoters. So how they would make money is they would bring beautiful women to the nightclubs. Nightclubs would pay them per head. But their problem was wrangling the girls and actually getting them to the nightclubs. And they figured that they could solve that by putting the girls into a house and they called it a model house. The girls could live for free in exchange for they would have to go out to the clubs three to four nights per week. And I had some property in New York that I was using for an Airbnb and we made a deal with them to swap out. We gave them one of our Airbnb properties. They paid us rent, but they turned it into a model house. And they also allowed me and my business partner to come and party with them at the nightclubs for free whenever they went out. So I started going out with these model houses and going to these nightclubs, doing the bottle service thing, like three to four nights per week. And I learned so much because what I was doing was not working at all with these models. It was it was pretty night and day. It's like everything I'd learned on my journey of becoming better with women had to be thrown out the window. But then when I realized that the that my new way of operating, and it kind of went full circle, I went back to this social circle type of way to meet women. Because prior to that, I was hunting, you could say. I was meeting women during the day, approaching them on the street, using online dating, going out to bars and clubs. But once I switched to the social circle style where you know people beforehand, you meet them through your warm market, and then that can later turn into something romantic, that really spun the game on its head for me. And so after doing that, that's really when my results took off and I started experiencing all the things I wanted to in my bachelor life. I checked everything off that sort of bachelor bucket list. And then a few years later, i met my now wife and left that stuff behind.
0: Very interesting. What do you see going back to the clients that you work with and working with people who you know are successful in their careers? What are some of the sort of common mistakes men making going down the wrong rabbit holes, the wrong paths, wasting time and energy on things that are not actually ever going to produce the results that they want? So... I like to look at the entire dating process,
1: like a sales and marketing funnel. And I think that's helpful for guys to just get a better idea of what's going on. So you've got really three ways to meet women, four ways, but those ways are one is online dating. Two is approaching women in a non-social environment. That would be like going up to them in a coffee shop or at a dry cleaner. The third would be a social environment, like a nightclub or a bar festival, And the fourth is through your social circle. But I say three slash four, because if you don't have a social circle, you need to meet women in those other methods to build a social circle. So optimal way, like I've been saying, is through your social circle. That's always going to be the best way because you have pre-selection, you have built in status and nothing matters more to a woman than status. Power is, you know, within what I call status. So if you're a guy who's single looking to succeed with date, the highest quality women, If you can improve your status, nothing will give you a better result. But that's a long-term strategy, right? That's not like something you could really change overnight. You got to build that. So in the short run, most guys are really making mistakes because they're focusing way too much on online dating. And online dating is really rigged against us as men because the ratio of men to women on those sites is horrible. You're looking four to five eight to one men to women so the relative the sexual marketplace is very lopsided where women have all the power and if your profile isn't extremely top-notch if you don't look like a male model if you have to you're not going to be competitive in those environments so my advice to guys is do whatever they can to boost that profile i'm totally against any sort of lying when it comes to real life stuff, but in online dating, which includes Instagram, everyone's essentially lying. Everyone's using FaceApp, using Photoshop on their photos, lying about their height, lying about their age, women, men across the board. So really to be competitive in that environment, you have to lean into some of those things. Um, So when I'm working with clients who are trying to improve their online dating, that's what we first do is we revamp their profile add an edge to it so that they don't come across as such like the nice guy or the sort of guy who's looking to get boyfriend zoned or husband zoned by women. And then we go to work on improving their edge. How can their profile stand out a bit? And then we also work on those two other sort of dating so funnels. Hold on, on
0: hold on. Just So I want to be actionable here. So for people listening who are active with online dating, maybe getting some success, but maybe not as much as they want, what would you say are three things right now they could do that are usually on the low-hanging fruit side? that they could instantly tend their their dating profile. So the great thing about online
1: dating is you only need four to six really good photos to be successful, right? And obviously, you should be working on your Instagram because all online dating funnels through Instagram. So if you haven't optimized your photos, that's going to work for both Instagram and for online dating. There's a site you can run your photos through called Photofeeler. And that will rate your photos by a huge sample of the population to tell you which photos are good. Figuring out how to get those photos is super important. A lot of guys think they can just go to a headshot photographer and get those. But that's not actually the case because headshot photos don't work in the same way for online dating. They've done studies. They've shown like the best sort of photos are like action shots, like candid shots where you're not looking at the camera You're like doing something else. Also, like the facial expression, there's a there's this term called what's it called? It's smirking plus. I'm forgetting the name, like glinching or glinting, but basically like where you're squinting, but you're not totally squinching. Sorry, squinching is the word. If you if you just YouTube the squinch, you'll see that sort of look that you want to do with your eyes when you're taking those online dating photos that make you look a little bit more attractive. So I'm here, but photos huge. its yeah. piece is like having your profile have some sort of edge to it. Most guys just follow the prompts and they have just like a boring, nice guy profile that doesn't say anything about that. They're mysterious, that, that they are they have some sort of sexual edge to them because that's what women on Tinder. So Give me an example of
0: something that would be a profile with some edge. What would be an example of something like
1: that? So one of the guys posted it in my group the other day. I'm trying to remember exactly what he had on there, but the it it was like a three step. There were three prompts, and each answer to the prompt got a little bit more seductive. To so the answer I'm trying to remember what those prompts were. Let me pull. Let me send you the screenshot, and we can insert in the episode okay, after. That yeah. sounds good. Okay, great. Yeah.
0: So we'll put that in. All right, guys. So um, just intersecting the podcast for a second, um, Robbie Kramer had. Uh, <clears throat> Had a little brain fart there, so putting this in, there was three written prompts, and if you're watching the YouTube video, you can actually see these. If you are just listening on audio, um, I'm happy to tell you what they are, and they're also in the show notes. So the three written prompts are, the first one is the hallmark of a good relationship is, and then he fills out communication and great sex. The second prompt is a shower thought I recently had, and then the answer is you don't even want to know with like a little devil, uh, smiley face. And then the third one is you should leave a comment if, and then the answer to that is you want a psychological analysis based on your profile. So go to YouTube. If you want to see that video, go to the show notes, if you want to see that screenshot, um, and without further ado, we will go back to the episode. And then what's, what would be a third thing that people could do? So photos make their, the actual profile a little bit edgier. And I guess you could say avoiding the generic nice guy. and trying to appease you kind of deal. And that would be a third thing that people could do. The, how they're actually,
1: so they're successfully like getting matches, right? Then the next step is is to actually get dates. So most guys make the mistake when it comes to messaging is they try to think of something clever and unique about every woman that they're talking to. And that just leads to a huge time suck, horrible return on investment, return on time, and just a lack of results. So I found that using a role play style approach where you're sending the same messages to every girl and forcing them into a role play is super effective. One we use is called the Tinder marriage role play. So the opening line is, so does this mean we're exclusive. And that's assuming, you know, you both swiped, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're joking around the fact that now you're an exclusive couple. And then she'll respond like, yeah. And I'll say, yeah, I just, I got changed my profile. my I changed my Facebook profile. I got 37 likes. My mom's super excited to meet you. And she'll respond back. Ha ha, LOL. I'll be like, what, what do you think for the wedding? Summer, local? What do you think? So then she'll respond to that, to which I'll send like a ring emoji. So that we have this whole role play. You can just cut and paste. And yeah. even if women have seen that, because, you know, some have, it's still effective, more effective than the other things that guys are doing to, to come up with like witty on the spot stuff that just doesn't work.
0: Uh, and and we have you, other
1: templates for that too. So yeah. there's three that we use that that we find get really high wow. rates and that kind of leads to, and from there, like the important thing is to get the women on a date as fast as possible, just because you'll get lost in the shuffle.
0: How do you draw the line between... Because what comes to my head right now is some like nerdy, socially awkward guy that's starting to use templates because he's thinking like an engineer, but that's not really his personality. And now he's on a date and he's not like that at all. How do you deal with that to, to match that person's humor, personality? Like, I remember when I was doing online dating, something that I would say is a message, just because that fit me, which what you're saying, by the way, would also fit in me because I, I like dumb shit like that. But right. sometimes I would just respond, yes, that's my, my, my first message yeah. would be yes. And they'd be like, what does that mean? I don't know. What do you think it means? Cause I like to fuck around, but that was me. Like I like to yeah. fuck around. Not every
1: guy likes to a, fuck si- a similar thing that we have to that is the first message is just the yummy emoji. If you type <laughs> yum. It'll okay. come with that, that like yeah, emoji yeah, yeah, that yeah. looks yeah. like that, right? With the tongue out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then she'll respond something. If she responds to that, there's obviously some interest. And then you say, I noticed something about your profile right? And you yeah. wait for the response. She'll say, what is it? And yeah. then you say, you actually have some of your qu- some of your qualities are my weaknesses, or so you, there's some a few things in your profile that are my weaknesses. And then the response, she'll say, what are they? And the response is like potential nice booty, some other like things that are sexualizing a bit. So you're yeah. not falling into that nice guy frame. And then she'll respond to that. And then basically say, how about we split a bottle of wine at my place or meet at a bar that sort of thing. So you're moving thing moving things quickly. And this also ties in when I send you the that screenshot with the three prompts. Yeah. you'll be able to tell like why that works. So that's okay. another strategy. And to answer your question, I try not to work with a sort of guys, work with guys who don't sort of, like some someone who's really socially not calibrated isn't going to be a good client for me cuz my material is a little bit too advanced for
0: them. Right. Yeah. So for someone who comes to you, right, and they're really socially awkward, maybe even like borderline on the spectrum, whatever it is, what resources do you recommend for them to even just get more socially calibrated so they could work with you or just go on their own and be more successful?
1: So I feel like there's some other coaches that are more specific for those base level sort of social skills. For a guy like that, he really needs a lot of repetition. He needs to go on a lot of dates. He needs to work with someone who can tell him what he's doing wrong. Okay. So like someone who's willing to like go out with him in the field. And I've done this, of course, for clients in the past. I've had some very successful poker players that have definitely been on the spectrum. So
0: what we'll do is we'll- The reason I say that in the investment world, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of people you will meet very good investors, but they're yeah. so socially inept, they might need something like that. And, totally. they, and they're probably some of them are listening right now. Yeah. So for those guys, you really have to figure out
1: the mistakes that you're making because you, you're unaware of those things. And those mistakes are consistently blocking you and blocking your success. And the best way to do that is you have to learn, you have to find out why you suck because most people in your life won't communicate that to you. It's not their yeah. job, right? They're going to be polite. So the best way to do that is by, showing what you're doing so sending a bunch of screen screenshots of your conversations so you can see like all right you're making these consistent texting mistakes recording your dates audio recording your dates if you have an apple watch it's really easy she won't know you're doing it and then uploading those into like i have my clients upload those conversations their approaches, their dates into my discord server. And we'll break those down or get like live coaching. You're with a dating coach. He mics you up and then and films, you undercover where you're actually out at a bar or talking to people, and then you can go through it and really pick apart those mistakes that you're making. And the the good thing about that is oftentimes it's usually like the same few mistakes that are leading to lodging everything. Um, And if you can just fix that, if you can fix some of those conversational things that you're doing wrong then you can very quickly improve. So it's for guys that are feeling like, oh my God, that, that seems like a lot of work. It's actually not that hard. Yeah. Uh, you can see pretty transformational results within two or three months.
0: And what do you say to people who are, because I've seen this and I don't actually, I get stumped. You see these guys who are actually pretty social, have a, you talked earlier about influence and power status. Some of these guys worth a $100 million running big funds, very wealthy, social, but either they're still single or they have a wife who they're pretty much like in an emotionally abusive relationship. Like they're just not happy if they're very honest with themselves. They're not happy with their romantic life. And that stuns me how you could be actually fairly socially competent and have that much status and you still are having trouble what what do you see as the source of that or is there a few things that you've pinpointed over the years that you could go i know exactly what's going on
1: yeah i do that quite a bit because the better a guy or not the better the, but the more successful he becomes the bigger his ego and the less willing a lot of the time he is the less willing he's going to be to get help with an area like this which a lot of guys be like oh dating coaching or relationship coaching that scene that's and it's like Not for me, right? Like, I'm a CEO. I make decisions, blah, blah, blah. But then you see these guys like totally being simps, right? Their wife like wears the pants. They're really unhappy in their relationships because they never really learned how to deal with women. They never had that period of life where they were successful with women and had, they had choice and they had options. They have no power when it comes to their love life. And it's tough for those guys, like I said, because the ego is involved. You got, you have to eventually they'll either get a divorce, something that they'll hit rock bottom and then they'll be forced to take a look at it. But until they do, most guys won't address it. But the thing that needs to change for those guys is mostly it's between their ears. It's their mindset. It's how they're approaching just their relationship in general, women in their life. They're usually giving away their power and they're operating under this inauthentic nice guy frame. Even though they're really successful and powerful in business, that doesn't translate into how they deal with women. A lot of the times, there's mommy issues there. There's all sorts of stuff, like if you look under the hood. But I do see that all the time. And with those guys, like the best thing you can do, those guys are usually very afraid of rejection because they've never gone through that process of dealing with that. They've never, women in real, they've either hid behind online dating or maybe they met their wife or something like just through a friend, the social circle, on a park bench, but yeah. they haven't gone through that sort of rite of passage that comes with getting over the fear of rejection. So usually with a guy like that, we'll do a bunch of social freedom exercises. We'll do things, even if they're in a relationship, we'll do things to get them over that sort of fear of rejection, nice guy syndrome, and that will transform.
0: Do you think part of it too is they might be hiding, like actually hiding behind their status? That's a good question. Well, I I had a very well-known investor who I will not say who that Mm -hmm. is on the air, but He years ago, I was talking to him, and he, in the middle of our conversation, he goes, "Eric, I've always been a little jealous of you." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's, "Yeah, every time I see you in Omaha at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, I'm just a little jealous of how like socially free you are, and how open you are, and how much fun you're having, and I want that. I've noticed you've done that for a lot of years, and I've always wanted. And I'm looking at this guy, right? This guy." is, I don't know, top 20 most famous investors in the world. This guy's worth more money than he'll ever need in his life. And he's jealous of me. And I thought that was absolutely mind-blowing and not a shocker. Like He was having some issues with his marriage and stuff like that. And I couldn't really pinpoint what was that about. I wonder if he had any insight on that. And I'm sure he's not the only one that would be jealous, not of me, but of those kinds of behaviors or kind of freedom just in their own expression.
1: I think what he was witnessing is you really stepping into your true, authentic self, like you being you and not apologizing for who you are. Whereas in social situations, he probably doesn't feel like he can be who he really is. And that can be a function of becoming so successful that you have to play this persona. and yeah, that there, there's some dissonance there between who he's being and who he wants to be. And he sees that there's no dissonance in you and he sees how free you are and how much you're just able to relax in the space and enjoy and connect with people where he feels a barrier to that, I think.
0: So I would imagine, so what you're saying, what you're saying I, I'd imagine a lot of people deal with that, especially people who have made it successfully and through that success, maybe they were actually being some way they don't really like or not congruent with who they actually are. But the more successful you get at that, the harder it would be to drop that because you might let go of a lot of other stuff that made you successful in the first place. How do people get out of that trap? Yeah, it's interesting. Like in celebrities,
1: you'll hear this a lot. Like Michael Jackson had a persona. Beyonce has a persona. She's even named. She calls herself fierce when she's on stage. And she's this larger than life, fierce woman who's very powerful. And she embodies that character. And that's what we think of when we think of Beyonce. But then when you listen to Beyonce or watch her in interviews... And when she describes herself, she's like very sweet, kind of the opposite of that persona behind closed doors. And I feel like when someone is extremely successful, that kind of happens. We have to wear these masks, right? These masks have got us this level of success. So we continue to wear the masks. But in some areas that those masks could be really, really affecting us. And that requires a lot of deep inner work. Talking to a therapist about some of those things, the reasons why you don't want to show that side of yourself, they can be rooted back into like childhood trauma those sorts of things. I deal with it a lot just doing exposure therapy with clients. We'll go out and we'll all have them do social freedom exercises where they like one thing I would do with a guy who is very wealthy and he had this this persona of that is I would I'd make him go out and have him ask people for a change, like he's homeless. And that can be, man, when I did that exercise, just even once, you just feel like such a it, it just You feel like zero status in the way people look at you and they're like, oh my God, this is a homeless person. They're asking me for a dollar. And it it really affects how, but basically what I'm saying, for me, it was a very kind of crazy experience just doing it once. So there are things you can do to expose yourself to these other ways of being and make those changes. But yeah, we're talking about like pretty deep rooted issues at this point.
0: So for people listening who maybe either don't want a coach or who aren't quite ready for a coach, but might wanna just do some personal exercises, you know, on their own time just like asking people for money what are some other things people could do to get them more connected to the who they actually are and break out of some of those boxes
1: yeah, so I have a series of I call them social freedom exercises. They're like twenty-five or twenty-eight exercises, and they increase in difficulty as you kind of go up the ladder. I can send you that the PDF. You can put it in the show notes. That's something that people can okay. just kind of try. My, my one great exercise to do is to just—they've even done studies on this. We're talking to strangers is, believe it or not, extremely therapeutic and good for us. And we all live in this stranger danger society. Oh, we don't want to talk to strangers, but. When you go out, like if you go out and you talk to, you try to talk to 20 people in an hour, doesn't matter. Say hi, ask for the time, ask for directions. After doing that for a little while, like you will feel differently. You will feel like, go feel like you're a body buzz, feel a little bit high. It's a very sort of energizing feeling. So that can be a great exercise for people. Do you
0: find that's different doing that by yourself versus doing it when someone's around? It's definitely harder to do it alone. It's I was going like... to say, because I, I find if I'm with a friend, it's, I'm almost pulled to do that. It's like a very fun thing for me where I remember just, be, just before I left Philadelphia for a few weeks, I was just doing that. I don't even know why. I was just more to, because I knew I was leaving in a few <laughs> weeks and it was just something to do. And I found like I'd be at the park and there'd be someone, oh, that person looks interesting to talk to. I'll go talk to them. And I found myself for the first time feeling like a resistance to that. I was like, that doesn't right. even seem like me. But I realized I've never done this on my own before. And I actually, it really took something for me to walk up to random people at a park and <laughs> gotten some lots of interesting conversations, even a couple of dinners. <laughs> but yeah. like, it was wild how much harder that was on my own.
1: It's very difficult on your own because you don't have that sort of a partner in crime pushing you. When you have someone with you, you can do really ridiculous stuff. One yeah, thing you yeah. can do is you could walk up to a Starbucks. Just put your head on the window <laughs> and stare in until and people are just going to be like looking at you like you're going to feel all this tension, right? Yeah, you're going to yeah. and that's just like that social awkwardness. And if you can push through that, you're going to feel this huge sense of freedom because you stop giving a damn about what people think of you. Yeah. Uh, and that's extremely liberating. You know, when you care too much, that's when we get in trouble. Another great thing you can do is you can just lie down on the sidewalk and play dead in a crowded place. <laughs> and see how long you can stay there. People are going to um, come over, are you okay? But it's extremely liberating when you, you push, do it. That you doesn't...
0: thought I pushed the limit. You really pushed. I'm feeling uncomfortable just thinking about some of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's great. <laughs> it's great. That's great. And then the I think for
1: men listening who want to improve their dating life, especially if they're single, yeah. there's a quick little elevator pitch approach that I actually think is highly effective for getting dates and it accomplishes the same sort of social freedom. I can give you that elevator pitch if you want. I think yeah, that's...
0: please. I'd love to hear it.
1: So I ripped some of this off from Tim Ferris. He had a slight variation of this. So I wanted to give him credit there. But basically what you do is you see a beautiful woman, you walk right up to her and you say, "Hey, I saw you. I had to risk embarrassing the hell out of myself to come over here and meet you. You look like you're in a rush. I'm actually late for a meeting. How about this? Give me your number. If you don't like me, give me a fake one." And you hand her your phone. And That's great. Believe, believe it or not, you might walk away with like numbers like 3 out of four, 3 or 4 out of 10 times. In my experience, if you're a well-dressed guy, if you have good body language, if you don't smell bad, you're yeah. not foaming at the mouth with nervousness. Obviously, the more you practice this and the less nervous you get, the better you're going to do. But just that as a social freedom exercise is fantastic. And it also can get you dates.
0: That's great. That's really good. else that you think are just very practical, useful things that a guy or a gal could do to, I think most of this conversation, is probably more tailored towards men one. I'm sure we could do a whole other episode tailored just for toward, <laughs> towards women because so I, I think in probably from your experience, there's different there might be some similar, similarities, but also a lot of differences that men and women deal with when it comes to dating, like different problem sets you could say. And so I guess just more since we've been focused on more men today for men listening, what's is there any general very practical advice for the average guy listening who, you know, successful in their investing, successful in their career, but still not fully where they want to be with their dating life. What's the your last? Thing, yeah.
1: Re- really looking at how you can have a better social media presence. If you're a single guy, that's going to radically improve because Now, like your Instagram is so important. And I see a lot of successful guys are like, "Eh, I don't need to do Instagram. That's for kids. It's like, whatever. I mean, everyone has an Instagram at this point, but there is some sort of resistance to some really successful guys to get on Instagram. And Instagram is so important because every woman you meet is going to look to see if you have an Instagram. And if your Instagram is great, you're building status without doing anything. And it's such a huge advantage. So if you're not If your Instagram profile isn't optimized, if you don't have a Instagram's like a a magazine of your life, right? And I used to have some resistance to like posting photos of myself. I thought it was narcissistic or whatever, but that that's really changed. And I've just embraced the fact that like, yeah, if someone wants to go to my Instagram, they want to learn about me. So I'm going to show them who I am, I'm going to show that I'm a dynamic guy that I do cool stuff that I have interesting people in my life that I'm able to take to put an outfit together, and to take good photos. Another thing is like improving your style and fashion. Right? That's something you can do overnight, working Mm -hmm. with the right people. And that can be a radical improvement for guys who are for guys who are balding, that's a big game changer. Shave your head, get a hair transplant. If you wanna keep your hair, you can do it for very cheap over in, in Turkey, Got one. And I, was, I looked okay bald, but I liked having hair. So doing things that can really improve your first impression, your appearance. Looks only matter to the extent that you think they matter. So if I've seen guys who are fat and balding and do well because they have such high confidence, yeah. but might as well optimize all that stuff. So look to first optimize your first impression. And then look to improve your actual, your social skills, your interpersonal skills. That's where hiring a coach and actually getting feedback is pretty important and vital because it's very difficult to do those things on your own, I would say.
0: And if people want to reach out to you with questions or want to hire you or just ask you for general advice, what would be the best way to reach out to you? Uh, Hit me up on Instagram.
1: I love to connect with people personally. If you listen to this, liked it, just want to say hi. My Instagram will be in the show notes. It's just Robbie underscore Kramer, K-R-A-M-E-R. Or check out my site, innerconfidence.com. And there's a bunch of free resources on there and a way to get in contact with me as well if you're interested in coaching. Cool.
0: All right, Robbie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And Likewise, have- man. Yeah, yeah.
1: And awesome. oh, last thing too, I yes. forgot my podcast that you were actually a guest on yes. as well. So if, if you want more stuff, you can check out that. It's called The Leverage, podcast. And the Leverage check, podcast. Check out the the episode I did with you, Eric. That's That was fun.
0: All right. All right. We'll, we'll put all that in the show
1: notes. Awesome. Thanks, all man. Right, man. It's,
0: been, it's been great.
1: Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a the, pleasure. Uh,
0: yeah.